These uncertain times for baseball and the entire world require experimentation, innovation, risk-taking. Go bold or go home. Well, you should already be at home. Maybe that cliche doesn't work in this case. This is Earning Their Stripes, a podcast show dedicated to the Marlins farm system. I am Eli Sussman. For the first time ever, ever, our Fish Stripes top prospect list will be sorted out over the airwaves in this episode. We will discuss and select the current top 30 Marlins prospects, plus a few honorable mentions heading into the 2020 season. If there is even going to be a 2020 season, that is still very much up in the air. Uh, But we wanted to update our preference on all these players, some new insight, and uh, learn more by talking directly to each other all about it. Helping me do that, there's going to be four of us here on the call with me, making five in total. I'm joined by Ethan Badowski. What's going on, guys? Hope you're all staying home. Everybody stay inside. Spencer Morris. Hey, how's it going, guys? I'm currently locked down in my very small bedroom. Ian Smith. How you, go- how you guys doing? It's been a while. Louis Davila. Hey, uh, happy to be here. Uh, hope everyone's staying safe. And I'm excited to finally make my debut on this podcast podcast that you named yourself about a year ago (laughs) if you're doing the math at home that is one two three four five of us on the call at the same time that is another first time thing that we're experimenting with here on the pod trying to keep it organized and combine all these perspectives if the episode sucks if it's too overcrowded or whatever then we won't do it exactly this way again but if it rocks we'll do it every single day until the self-quarantine ends um the last time we updated the list was in december it was right before Christmas on the top 30 Marlins prospects. Uh, Since then, we still had a little bit of winter league action going on, but probably more importantly, they had major league spring training. And especially at the whole top half of this list, um, most of the guys in the top 10 and top 15 were in major league spring training. They did play in games. We got to see them either in person or live footage or great HD footage of them playing in competition that we hadn't seen before. So learned a lot from seeing them in spring training and we wanted to make sure that's updated in the whole prospect list and that that influences what we've learned about those guys since then and we're going to kind of go in order as to what those prospects were looking like when we lasted our update at that time the number one guy was right-hander Sixto Sanchez uh, finished last year spent most of last year at double a and performed exceptionally well Um, just extremely great strike throwing ability He's going to be 21 for most of this upcoming season. Um, so played against a lot, he's, most of his career playing against competition that's uh, much more experienced than him and older than him. But he has just extraordinary stuff. Um, no longer really an industry consensus that he's the number one guy in the system, but that's where he was on our list previously. So I'm going to start with you, Lewis, uh, just based on what we saw during spring training, not from him, but actually from other guys in the organization because he didn't even participate in Grapefruit League games, are we still comfortable with keeping Sixto at the number one spot? Uh, You know, it's definitely valid to knock him down a few points on whatever, like, form of ranking you have him in, simply because of the way he showed up to camp and not necessarily being in the shape that the team wanted him to be in. And then suddenly having to get into this completely different throwing progression from every other pitcher in the system. It is concerning, but I still think his strike throwing ability and his stuff and the fact that he pitched all of uh, 2019 healthy, it's good enough for me to keep him where he's at. I think the way he throws strikes during game and keeps hitters off balance. And, you know, he's not a guy who's just like throw in and see where it goes. Like it, it's very dominant stuff. It's it's accurate, and I, I think that's enough to keep him at number one. The 0-2. Breaking ball at the belt. Inner half called strike three. 91 mile per hour slider, and Sanchez has four strikeouts through three scoreless innings so far. And hopefully the makeup concerns are addressed, but I, I, I would still keep him at number one. Um. And I guess the one question mark is whether he's going to have enough swings and misses because uh, for all for as well as he performs, you know, the strikeout rate was kind of 
middle of the road for a prospect of his caliber. And I guess that's going to be one of the bigger questions. I know Ethan, you've felt pretty strongly about all the 6-0 doubt and how you're still pretty confident in him, right? Yeah, no, I, w- I was just going to say last time we talked, Eli, we talked about uh, his his strike throwing ability and, and the way that he almost throws too many strikes. This is the thing that I've brought up a lot with Sixto. And it's just kind of the strikeouts will kind of come as he works more outside of the strike zone. I think, you know, he's not, if you watch like his games, like everything is just peppering the zone and it's with this absolute gas that, you know, Ian talked about a lot last year from seeing him with just, just constant gas coming right at you. And so I think that, you know, obviously, you know, you want guys to be in shape, but I just think if Sixto can produce the kind of results that we saw last year, you know, on a consistent basis, you know, I, I, I said it before, I don't care if he looks like an offensive lineman, you know what I mean? If he's pumping gas and he's peppering the strike zone and, and, and getting guys out, you know, I think the the strikeouts will kind of come as he matures more and just kind of figures out how to use his control effectively, I think. Um, but I mean, the guy's tremendous and he's got the stuff to be a top line starter. And, and uh, you know, obviously one of the, biggest downsides uh to spring training getting cut short is that i think we were kind of getting towards the verge of seeing sixto and and we didn't get to uh and i and i think that's pretty upsetting uh for a lot of marlins fans because we just kind of wanted to see him uh in action so you know the wait goes on but i i i don't see any reason to move him down the list i think he's still the number one guy um um, you know, maybe we'll, t- and we'll talk about him in a second, but jazz is the only guy that I think I'd put up against him right now. Well, we're talking about jazz right now. <laughs> I was going to bring it up. Spencer, are you, if you're still there, I know that it wasn't that long ago that you were advocating for jazz to be the number one prospect in the system at this time, just to get the audience caught up. He just turned 22 years old. Um, the shortstop that they acquired last July, one, one for one trade with Zach Gallen, put up much better numbers at the double-A level after he's acquired. He went on to play in Puerto Rico, had a couple of good moments over there, and then he really burst onto a lot of people's radars uh, during spring training, when especially those first few games, and then uh, even in his very final game before being optioned down to um, the triple-A, he hit a monster home run to the pole side, and just an absurd physical skill set, and now that he's had some of the in-game results to match up with it, your general thoughts on Jazz and and how how would you even compare like him and Sixto in terms of overall prospect value? Um, well, I I think between him and Sixto with Jazz, you're getting more upside on the top end, um, whereas Sixto is a higher probability guy. I think more or less, barring like severe injury trouble, Sixto, if nothing changes with him. Um, I think he's about a number three starter. If he does start to, uh, like Ethan was talking about, throw a few less strikes and work outside the zone a little bit more, I think he can um, improve upon that projection. And I think that's a realistic hope. And if I had to guess, I would think that's something that will happen with Sixto. And I think he can be closer to a number two starter. But with Jazz, I think you're talking about a guy who has like six win potential at shortstop, which is something that a very small number of players in the minor leagues can claim. Um, If his hit tool doesn't progress a great deal, he's probably more of like a three or four win player, but his power really just pops. he has plus raw and he really gets to absolutely all of it. And he's a lot to stay up the middle defensively. So I think I personally think his bat can be just like about a shade below average. And I think he'll draw his fair share of walks. So I think you're talking about a heart of the order hitter with very good defense at shortstop. And that's a hell of a player. The other question to throw into this at the very top of the prospect list is whether we're sure that Sixto is still the top pitcher in the system because Edward Cabrera did get into a couple 
Grapefruit League games, just two appearances, both out of the pen. But in that really limited action, he showed that kind of absurd stuff that he has that hardly anybody else in all the minors has. His fastball touching 100 miles per hour, his changeup getting to about 94 in these games. And, uh, of course, he in terms of the performance that he had last season, it was right up there with Sixto on a per-inning basis is probably a little bit better than Sixto um, in terms of actually missing more bats. And some of that was in Jupiter. At the end, he got up to double-A Jacksonville, and uh, he's only a few months older than Sixto is. Uh, the expectations and all the reporting has been that uh, once the season gets underway, he's already going to make the leap up to triple-A. And so him and Sixto are virtually on the same track in terms of the timeline for them to actually potentially reach the majors, both of them on the 40-man roster, uh, just opening it up to to anybody is they're very different types of pitchers a little bit because of the build that they have is very different. But in other ways, they have uh, they've shown a lot of the same abilities in games. Um, do we think it's valid at this point to actually um, consider Edward on that same level as Sixto and to even potentially put him ahead of Sixto? I would say that I don't think I would have him quite ahead of six, though, but I do think it's very legitimate to have that conversation, and I do think it's very close. Um, I think, obviously, both of these guys are power pitchers. They both throw very hard uh, with the fastball. Um, I think kind of the difference is in their approach to pitching, um, and the rest of their arsenal uh, does have some pretty big variation, too. But, I mean, I think that Sixto is really trying to outsmart you on the mound where Cabrera is trying to just embarrass you. Um, like, his breaking ball has a, a bigger, sharper break than Sixto's, and he can get some really silly swings and misses on it. Um, I think all, all you really need to see with Cabrera is for the command to keep tracking in the direction that it has been for the last couple of years. And if it continues to improve along that trajectory, I think that you're, I think he could, he could be a number two starter. That's if, if I had to put like one firm projection on him, that's what it would be right now. Yeah. I think um, with Edward, like if you put him side by side with six though, and you just break down his arsenal, I think one, it's very legit to, to think his fastball is better than Sixto Sanchez. It has a little more life. It stays more true through the zone. And he can get that good two-seam action. And his his changeup, which not everyone's a big fan of it, and honestly, I would prefer a little more velo separation on it, but it works well as a two-seam type fastball uh, most of the time because it does stay around 90 to, and it's reached 94 miles per hour, but it has good movement on it. So he'll he'll draw some pretty good ground balls uh, with with that pitch. But I think what separates him from Sixto is that breaking ball, like Spencer mentioned. It's a really good breaking ball. Uh, he calls it a curveball. I, I know a lot of uh, sites refer to it as a slider. He does not throw a slider. It's a curveball. And um, it, that's the pitch that's going to separate him from Sixto. And I think that's what gives him the higher ceiling. It's it's a pitch the, the Marlins have kind of struggled to really, like, uh, have throughout their system that like strong breaking ball. I know Yamamoto and Braxton Garrett have it, but when you have a guy with this type of fastball and with a changeup that's honestly solid enough and could probably improve, I think he does have a higher ceiling than Sixto. But like Spencer said, it's the command where Sixto really hasn't beat. And but if, if he can even like improve that just a bit more. You're, you're talking about a guy who is legitimately better prospect than Sixto Sanchez. Yeah, I mean, I agree with what Lewis just said there. I mean, what Edward brings, even in projection, is a lot a lot better. Just 6'4", 200 pounds, you know. But talking about that curveball, it's, it's extremely hard to hit when you're waiting on that fastball that he can throw at 98 in top of the zone. Edward's kind of been a more or less pop-up prospect this last season. People knew about him before last year, but he really wasn't putting up the numbers. He had the stuff, but it wasn't coming at a high level. Like he was young still. <clears throat> but seeing what Edward did last year in high A and, and double A is huge compared to what Sixto did in double A. We were expecting what Sixto did last year. To, I mean, granted, he came at age 20 most of the year, but still we're, a lot of us were expecting that out of Sixto. What we got 
is 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 exactly that. But with Edward, the projection he made and the, the strides he made last year were just so unheard of that if he can do that again in 2020, if we get baseball, then it's pretty clear to me that he can be a better prospect overall than six. So, and I've really came around on six. So in the last year or so, I wasn't the biggest fan, but seeing him live even this year in spring, it was, it was kind of impressive, not even watching him pitch, but again, talking about Edward, I think the tools that he, that Ethan and Spencer, I mean, excuse me, that Lewis and Spencer mentioned were, were true. I mean, I think he's got the, the true tools to be a number one or two starting pitcher in this league. Just, just talking about like pure ceilings, like just the way that Eddie just kind of like jumped out at you this year, and and bro- like it's one of the craziest breakout years, you know, I I can remember. Like he was just so dominant every night that he stepped out on the hill, and like going into the season, I did a prospect preview for the site, and I talked about like the top ten guys in the system, and Cabrera was like number eight, and and he was always this guy that was just kind of like an afterthought. You know, you thought about the top line guys, the Montes and Nissans and, and uh, you know, the Sixtos and the, um, the Sandys at the time, you know. But then it was, you know, Eddie after that. And now he's a guy that you think of right away when you think about the Marlins prospects because of the type of year he had, the type of breakout year that he had. And, and he's turned himself into a premier prospect. And, and like Ian said, I, I agree with everything Ian said there. If he can make that kind of jump again, you know, he could be in the majors this year and it just shows how, how quickly he's rising shows how high his ceiling could possibly be. Um, because you know, he went from, uh, he turned himself into a top 100 prospect, uh, from a guy that was, you know, bottom half of a top, of a top 10 this year, uh, in a, in the Marlin system, which at the time wasn't, wasn't what it is now. So, um, yeah, I mean, his jump, this past year was so exceptional that he's just going to continue rocketing up boards. Like I think he's 95. If, if I'm correct on the pipeline rankings right now, he could turn himself into a top 50 prospect by mid season, you know, barring the schedule this year. Um, he, he could turn himself into a top 50 prospect by mid season if he pitches the way he did last year. So, yeah, I think there is an argument that based off ceiling, you could say that Eddie has a higher one, um, but I still think that Sixto, you know what you're getting, like Ian said, we knew what we were getting with Sixto and we got it. And and I think because of that, you have to say he's the more solid, better prospect. Basically, I I want to mention this on Sixto uh, before we move on. It's that I know I understand there's this like prototypical pitcher that everyone looks for. It's the low walks, high strikeouts, obviously low ERA, but uh I think the way Sixto works, where he can keep you off balance, draw weak contact, and limit base runners, I think it's still a winning formula. And it's not something prospect rankers will love because obviously you'd love to miss bats. But I think the weak contact and the it, it's consistent. It's low pitch counts, weak contact. I think that works in the major leagues. And I think it'll work better than people anticipate. And then in Edward, you're going to have the more prototype guy. You have the 6'3", 6'4", starter who is going to blow it past you and then just get you with the wicked breaking ball. There's, I think he's going to be someone the industry will like more and there will be more consensus on him as people see him throw more. But I, I really think Sixto shouldn't be knocked for the lack of strikeouts. Fair enough. The one other guy I wanted to bring in the same cluster of top players is J.J. Blade, the first-round draft pick last summer, 22 years old. He also he, he made the immediate leap from signing in pro ball to going to high-A Jupiter. And as far as my research brings me, uh, I think he's the only player that I can find in Marlins history that actually made his pro debut immediately at the high-A level in his very first game. And uh, his performance there, once you adjust it for the actual league expectations, because we know that the Florida State League is is hell for basically any type of hitter, that uh, he actually was pretty decent and arguably above league average as a hitter in at the very beginning playing in Jupiter. He got the invite to spring training. He had a couple nice moments in spring training, and it got us a better look at his gorgeous swing. Well, one is a ground ball pulled right side, base hit. Waved at third, Rodriguez, he's coming home. There won't be a throw. J.J. Bladé, an RBI single. 
The Marlins have scored a couple of times now in the seventh to tie the game at three. Just looking at a guy that you expect to be able to hit for power and be able to make steady contact and to use all fields. The fact that uh, at this moment he's played most of his pro games in right field, but I found it very interesting that there was that one game in spring training where they put him in center just for a few innings. And the fact that you have a guy that you trust easily to be like a big boost to your lineup and in the middle of your lineup, and there's even a shred of a possibility that he could play center, just a little bit of center, even in an emergency that as an overall player, that's a guy that would have a lot of value to you. Someone that not on the 40 man roster, there's no urgency to like bring him to the majors this year. But he's just that assignment that he got. It makes it pretty clear that the Marlins feel he's so advanced relative to his experience level. And the last time we did this prospect list, I think, let me double check. I, we, he was up at number two the last time that we updated these, these prospect rankings. So just throwing it out to you guys, the, the previous top four that we had was Sixto, Blade. Oh, we actually had Jesus Sanchez at number three, Jazz Chisholm, and then. Edward Cabrera. So actually, let's go through one through five. For each of you personally, where would you currently have this top five of this top 30 list? In what order would you have these guys? Well, I just I just want to say real quick on Blade, and then I guess I'll jump into my top five. He, he You almost like forget about him. And, and you kind of almost forget about Jesus Sanchez too because of the way that guys like, you know, Monte was playing a lot in spring training. And then obviously jazz was the star of spring training. You have to say, I think. And then what Gerard was doing in spring training, you almost kind of like forget that Blade was even there. Um, but he still had a couple really nice moments and he was still the number four overall pick in last year's draft and hit 250 in high a in his first pro ball action uh, last year. And then got an invite to spring training. Like he, he's pr- He's in, exceptional. Like he's an exceptional. He's at this point, it's exceptional what he's been able to do at you know such a young age to be able to come into spring training and you know be there with the big boys right away. Um, and and and, you, and like I said, he he's become like an afterthought for whatever reason now. Um, and and he just kind of like, and I think he kind of has to fall down the list a little bit because of the way that Jazz just jumped off the page at you in spring training. Um, but he, he's consensus top five, I think for every, you know, obviously for everybody. And I, he's just as exciting as he was when we drafted him. So, but right now I would probably, I would stick with six to one. And then I would have, I'd put jazz two, and then, uh, jazz two, Blade three. And then I guess maybe Jesus and Eddie. I, I'm still very high on Monte. As you guys all know, I still want to put Monte in the top five. But at this point, he's basically like, I think he's going to be on the opening day roster. So he's basically a major league player to me. So I would kind of knock him down a little bit for that. So I'd probably go, yeah, one, six, two, Jazz, three, Blade, four, Eddie, and then five, uh, Jesus Sanchez. Did I say Jesus twice? I meant Blade somewhere in there. <laughs> I had you at, at six O Jazz, Blade, Jesus, Edward. There you go. Perfect. Yeah, that's perfect. That's that's where I would put my top five right now. I think for me, I'll go Sixto. And that I think Jazz really made that jump. And I'm a huge fan of Edward. So I'll go Sixto, Jazz, Edward, and those three very close with Blade and then Jesus Sanchez right behind Blade. And honestly, I think uh, with Jesus Sanchez, um, his stock has dropped a bit over time since the trade. And it's fair because of the strikeouts and stuff, but I think he handled himself pretty well this spring training. And he did part, like, he, he wasn't just participating. Like he was hitting well off some uh, big league pitchers. I think he hit like a 400 foot triple off Zach Greinke. Uh, when he faced the Astros. So I'm feeling pretty good about him, but I'll still have him as number five overall in that group. Yeah, you mentioned Jesus Sanchez, and I've, I haven't seen such easy power from him than I saw in the spring training. I mean, it was backfield work in, in, in the cages and, and BP, but still the kid's left-handed swing is so easy, and he missed so much time at the end of last year. I think he went down at the end of August. So we missed 
a good bit of his season last year and going even into spring training, he didn't participate till about a month into it. So seeing Jesus was, was pretty exciting this year, but um, just to give you my top five, six, though, is still going to be one, but it's extremely close at this point. We didn't get to be at that segment of the podcast, but it'll be six to one jazz two. I'm going to have Lede three Sanchez four. And this is weird for me, but I'm putting Eddie five right now. Just, uh, his stuff was electric this ring. We, as we talked about it, but if he doesn't tighten up the control and if it gets loose on him again, then there's, there could be problems there. So as of right now, he's going to be my fifth prospect in the, in the top five. And for my top five, um, is going to look a little bit different. I, like I said, I would have jazz at number one still, uh, right now. I feel good about that one. Uh, Blade, I would have second. And followed by Sanchez, Sixto Sanchez, uh, Cabrera, and then Jesus Sanchez. Um, I think with Blade, you're getting a ready-made, out-of-the-box, part-of-the-order major league hitter who profiles pretty well in right field to boot. Um, he's not like just a bat. He's a solid defender at a position that's not you know, all the way at the bottom of the defensive spectrum. Uh, so I think he's a very, very high probability guy who brings a good deal of upside as well. All right. So I'm going to do my informal calculations here. So we're okay if we roll this all together. Sixto at one, Jazz at two, Blade at three, Edward at four, and Jesus at five. We could all live with that, do you think? Yeah, I like yeah. it. I like it too. Good. So what does that do compared to the old one? Yeah, it moves Jazz up two spots. It moves Blade down one spot. Edward up one and Jesus down one. All right. Yeah, I mean, like I said, Jazz was the star of spring training. I mean, he caught all the headlines in terms of the young guys. Uh, and so I think for that, we have to you got to give him some credit for what he was able to show at the major league level. And then also what he showed when he came over to the Marlins organization last year, it was tremendous at the end of the year. So he definitely deserves that credit uh, to be among the top two. I, I think. Yeah. He's uh yeah, he's, he's a guy that has all those intangibles that you want to speak. Him and Tyler hero, him and Tyler hero are going to be good buddies. I feel like they could be yeah. like this, this face of the young Miami crowd for the next you know, when they're playing in Miami together, like I think they could be really good buddies. I mean, talking about Jazz's personality, I mean, even with even with the media this spring, he was the easiest guy to talk to. He'd be down to talk to at any time of the day. <clears throat> I saw him be the, the last guy off the practice field probably three times out of the ten times I was there this spring, just signing autographs and taking pictures with fans. He's like you guys said, the easiest person to be around, especially on in a baseball clubhouse. Like it, it was, it was great. Yeah. To speed it along a little bit from this point forward, I'm going to throw out a couple names at a time. Again, this is going to be based on where we had these guys ranked on the previous list. So we got those top five going. And of course, Ethan already got his mention of Monte in there. And Monte and Jazz just happen to be pretty close friends all in the field and have some similarities as prospects too. So Monte is going to be part of this next group. I'm going to throw out all at the same time. Monte, Braxton Garrett, and Lewin Diaz. Monte is the oldest of the bunch. He's already 24, and considering how uh, delayed the season might be, uh, he'll be close to 25 when he's actually reaching the big leagues, which is not something you generally see from a guy that's this high up on a prospect rankings for an organization that's as top that's really as has so much high end talent as the Marlins do right now. Uh, Braxton Garrett, the left-hander who's coming off his first semi-full season back from Tommy John surgery, and really impressed. With Jupiter, he's 22. And Lewin, who uh, they acquired him in July from that Sergio Romo deal, and he immediately continued hitting for excellent power. With Jacksonville, he went to the Dominican Winter League. He won Rookie of the Year in the Dominican Winter League, showed up to spring training and hit a couple bombs in spring training as well. He's a guy that personally for me is um, – I think he's amazing. I, I think I really like his potential. He's going to be tw- – he's 23 years old. So – um, whichever guy you want to go in depth on, I'll just throw them all out at the same time. Monte, Braxton, and Lewin. Some general thoughts about those guys. Lewin is a, for me, is a really high probability guy. I have a lot of confidence in his bat. Um, 
I think he's going to be above average in both the hit and power departments. You'd like to see him walk a little bit more, but it's not like a complete free swing approach. So that's not a big concern for me. I think you're going to see him and JJ Bleday are going to spend a lot of time in the heart of the Marlins lineup for years to come, in my opinion. Yeah. So I, I don't know how I feel about it, but I am pretty confident in saying that Lewin Diaz has jumped both Braxton and Monte, and it's kind of tough to make that decision because Monte plays such exceptional defense at center field and runs so well. But I think Lewin's bat <clears throat> and his defense at first base which I think is severely un- underrated. I, he moves very well for his size, and he makes every play. And when when he's at the plate, uh, he he does swing a lot, but he makes a lot of contact as well. And I think over time, he'll start to recognize what his ideal pitch is, and he'll start to capitalize more. And But, I mean, his power is already in- insane, and he makes exceptional contact. So I, I feel great about him. And in any other system, he sh- probably is a top five prospect it feels weird ranking him outside of the top five yeah the weird thing that i'd say that the my instant reaction to the trade when they got lewin is that uh i was a little underwhelmed because one thing about his batted ball profile is that he doesn't hit all that many like sharp line drives he hits a lot of these majestic high fly balls and you could see it in, in some of the home runs that he hit with Jacksonville after the trade and then even before the trade when he was in Pensacola in the twin system that he hits these like majestic fly balls. And I was worrying that like you, you bring that up to the majors, the ballparks, some of those ballparks are a little little bit larger or if he doesn't necessarily barrel the ball and he's hitting these like high fly balls, is it still going to have enough juice to get out? In each of their last three games, two errors committed yesterday. This 2-2 is rocketed deep out to right field. Segovia will give chase. He approaches the wall. It is gone. Diaz is having a field day with the right field berm here in Biloxi. But it it just does. It, the fact that when you look at it a little deeper, the fact AAA, they use that juice ball the same way that the majors did. But when he was playing at AA last year, they didn't have that same luxury to it. Um, as I'd mentioned, he was in the Dominican as well over the winter and hit some home runs, uh, what he showed in spring training games as well. And you just need to trust his training, I guess, because the big change in like his whole career trajectory last year was that he um, first he lost a lot of weight after being kind of out of shape when he was with the Twins in 2018. And then what he did this past offseason is he put some weight back on, but he put on the good weight. He tried it. He really got into the weight room and, and tried to. Um, even fill out his frame a little bit more if that's possible at this stage of his career. And for someone that is overall, if you combine those two off seasons, how dramatically he has changed his, his whole physique and how that could tap into that could really show out more of the natural talent that he's had since the very beginning of his career. So that's one thing that definitely made me a big believer in him. The Marlins are obsessed with him. Like, Mish always talks about how much the Marlins absolutely adore Lewin and how they think he's surefire number one, you know, the first baseman in the future. And so I think you just kind of got to trust the Marlins on that um, with how excited they are about this guy in terms of sending him up the boards. If they're excited about him, why are we not excited about him? You know what I mean? And he's produced. I mean, he came over and hit a bunch of bombs and was tagging extra base hits every night, it seems like. So um, and the other factor is he's the only first baseman in the system. You know, for a long time, we were talking about moving some of the outfielders that weren't as strong defensively to first base just to give us a first base option. But now we have one, and we have a really good one. Uh, I think he was ranked on Pipeline's top 10 first baseman. He's probably like a fringe 100 prospect, uh, top 100 prospect right now, I'd say. So, yeah, I think you got to give him some credit and kind of – give him a little boost just off of the, you know, kind of attention that he's getting from uh, within the major leagues. And, and um, the dude is absolutely massive. He was at the, um, the high A all-star game that Ian and I were at. And I remember just seeing him and just being 
amazed from even from 30 rows up or wherever we were at the size of the guy. So, um, yeah, it, he, he, he's a guy that can just jump in and I think he could jump in sometime late this year. You know, obviously we don't know what's going to happen this year. And, you know, usually I'd say September, but, uh, I think you could possibly see him. The Marlins have not been afraid at all to move these guys quickly through the system. Uh, for years, you know, we, we saw it with like Osiris and Connor Scott and other guys, you know, playing in low A early right after they were drafted. Um, the Marlins aren't going to hold guys back. So if they think Lewin's ready and they seem to, they're going to move him up quickly. And I think we could see him in the majors pretty soon. And I actually want to share a story. So um, this is my first, I think it was my first time covering Jacksonville last summer. And I was so excited to go see Sixto Sanchez. And he's facing uh, the Twins uh, AA team. I think it's the Blue Wahoos. And this is when Lewin was still on that team. Sixto was absolutely dominating that game. I think he had only given up a couple runs in the first inning. He was cruising. But the only guy who was consistently barreling him was Lewin Diaz. And I hadn't really heard of him until that point. So I'm, I'm in the press box with a couple other Twins prospects that are taking down TrackMan data. And uh, the one I was talking to was Griffin Jacks. And I'm talking to him, like, who is this guy? Like, he, he's hitting really well. And he said, watch out for this guy. And next thing you know, Marlins trade for him. And he's popping up rankings again. And he's he hit 27 home runs last year. And he just come out of nowhere. You never know who's going to come. And, yeah, there you go. So. Marlins have their their first baseman of the future, and I think it's legit. I'm, this guy, his presence at the plate, he's huge. He's intimidating. He hits pretty much anything. I think he's going to be a fantastic player for the Marlins. So my question is, I named Monse, Braxton, Lewin. Do we think there's anybody else in the system that is in that same tier of players? Is there the next guy's down on that list, whether it is – Trevor Rogers or Nick Nider, Cameron Meisner, Gerard Encarnacion. Um, I I always I personally always kind of pair uh, Brax and Rogers together. Maybe it's just kind of aesthetically they're lefties. They played for Jupiter last year, but um, I mean it always seems like they're kind of one after the other on prospect lists. Um, so I've always kind of paired them together. Um, but I mean, Ian, this is your guy, like Gerard, like. I think I think Harar could be a top 10 prospect this year in our system. I don't see him as a top eight if we're going to talk about those guys right there that we just talked about. I think Harar is one more good year. He's a top eight player. Like I said, I mean, these pop-up prospects, like like even, even Eddie last year, what Harar did this spring was unprecedented. I don't think anybody was ready for the power that he showed in games, hitting some bombs into the wind that was I guess so unexpected. Like he's he's shown some real power, but he came in this year looking like a bigger Stanton in his swing and in everything else. The kid just looked ready to play big league ball. Uh, I think he's like I said. I think he's a top ten prospect in our system. I don't. I mean, we have to see what he's going to do. He's probably going to start the year in Jupiter again next year with a quick move to to Jacksonville. If he doesn't start in Jacksonville already, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, I think Harar's got a real chance to make some noise this year and as a top 10 guy. I mean, like I said, I don't think he's in the Monte or the <clears> – excuse me, the Monte or the Laywin class yet, but, like, he still has so much time. He's only 22 years old. Uh, he's made some huge strides in a year. Just let him work. We don't have any rush on these kids. So if he's going to be a top 10 or higher or higher in our system, then just let, let's let it happen. And as we said, he really started to grow into it this year. High fly ball, well struck, deep left field, a grand slam! Oh, baby! He did it again! And here's the thing about Gerard, is that you can actually kind of parallel him with Monte. They have that same raw power. Uh, They've both entered their professional careers not really having played much baseball throughout their lives. So... A lot of the strides Gerard has made are just simply like adaptations to just getting at bats for a long time and finally like being a baseball player. So I think Gerard has the upside play and he he's the like if I have to put anybody into this group on upside, it would be Gerard. I think he's the only guy you can do that with. And then 
with the floor, I would maybe go Nidert because I think Nidert is a surefire major league starter. Uh, maybe the variance between like a three, which would be probably like the ceiling and a five, which is more likely is what caps him. But I think he would be like a floor based, like he could make it up here just based on that. I would say I agree that I think Gerard really stands out in that kind of next chunk of guys. I would probably put him in like a solid ninth right now. Um, but I think if you want to put another guy in that conversation based on upside, it's hard not to bring up Cameron Meisner because if you want to take the really optimistic view with him, um, he should probably be even ahead of Monte Harrison. Uh, obviously the questions about the hit tool with Meisner are a pretty glaring. Uh, those are definitely legitimate, but at the end of the day, it's a 6-4 frame with plus power and speed. Could potentially even stick in center field long term. That's a, that's a serious prospect. Um, most people seem to be a little further down on the hit tool for now, but I think a lot of the kinks there could get worked out, and I think you can make a strong case for top 10 with him even right now. Yeah, talking about Meisner, uh, he was his numbers last year in 34 games in Clinton were pretty good. <laughs> were uh, he didn't hit for as much power as you you'd expect, um, but he had a 13.3 walk percentage and only a 22.2 K percentage, which for a guy who the worry is the hit tool, like those are some pretty good numbers. Um, and he hit 276. Um, you know, he the the concern was how he fared against SEC pitching. And I think we all kind of like said that SEC, the competition is around somewhere in between that low A to high A level. So I think we'll kind of make our real judgment on Meisner when he plays in Jupiter, which I would probably expect him to this year. Like I'll pro I'd probably expect that outfield to start with Blade and Meisner and uh, maybe Gerard. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are good numbers for a guy if you're, you know, that you're worried about the hit tool for. Um, yeah, I'd like to see him hit, uh, hit for a little more power. He only put the ball over the fence twice in 34 games, and his slugging percentage was 373. But he's a guy that kind of gets slept on for whatever reason. I mean, he fell, um, you know, to the second – what was it? The the competitive balance or the second round, whatever it was. But, um, you know, a lot of guys said – a lot of people said that he might have had the best tools in the draft last year. So this is a real legitimate – you know, high-end prospect that you're talking about. And we're talking about him debating whether he's in the second or third tier of Marlins prospects. So, um, you know, the, the riches are legit right now. And, and, and I think that Meisner, if he comes out and hits the way he can and the way, you know, Spencer, you know, I know you're really high on him, the way that a person that is really high on him would expect him to, I think we could be talking about him for sure. Uh, with the likes of Brax and Lewin and and um, and Monte, if he's not already in the in the majors, come you know a couple months in the season. Yeah, I mean, like you said, uh, his SEC performance was really weak. But you go back to around March of last year, he was dominating non-conference competition. Really got off to a huge start in NCAA play, and then. Once the calendar turned, like at that point, he was being talked about as a top 10, potentially top five pick. Uh, I mean, like him, he and Hunter Bishop ended up going in the top 10. We're kind of the talk of the town. These two big uh, major program center fielders who are just hitting the cover off the ball and stealing bases. But once he got into conference play, he hit something like 175 with an OBP of 250 or something like that and ended up falling all the way to around pick 60. But, I mean, if if you want to take the view of he had some temporary mechanical issues that can be uh, worked out, and I think there's merit to that view, um, the, the outlook there is still incredibly bright. All right. I, I think with Meisner, like, the exciting thing about him is you have a guy like um, – like James Rosen, who comes into the system and he's going to preach a more aggressive, go get your pitch approach. And you, you have a guy like Meisner, who's kind of like 
Isan Diaz, who's he's probably a little too passive at the plate. And right now, it's not. I don't think it's showing in his stats as much because the command in lower level ball isn't as great. But uh, I think when he starts to work with a guy like James Rowson and that offensive coordinator role where he kind of sets up the philosophy for the system, I think he'll really benefit from that. And yeah, I, I could see him flying through this list. Like, I mean, he he does have the physical tools to match up with anyone on the list right now. We already mentioned the top five and how we have them sorted. This is what I got from six through 12. Uh, moving Lewin up to six, Monte at seven. We'll keep Braxton and Trevor Rogers paired together at eight and nine. Meisner up to 10, Gerard up to 11. And then Nider just down to 12, simply because of some of the higher ceilings that you get from guys like Meisner and Gerard. We can live with that number six through 12 order, or is there anything that you're really screaming about should be switched up? I like it. I like it. I would quickly make a proposal to uh, nominate Connor Scott for the 12 spot, but... I'm I'm in agreement with with that list. I like Nidert as well. Right. Well, I mean, Scott's obviously in this next group that we'll go to now, um, including Jose Devers, who is only 20 years old. He never ages. He's only 20 years old still, and he still looks like he's 12 years old. Connor Scott, who, of course, was their first-round pick in 2018, and also George Guzman, who arrived with – Jose Devers in that Stanton trade a couple of years ago and another gem of the 2019 draft class outfielder Peyton Burdick. Um, all these guys were what Devers was 12 on the last list and Scott was 14. Guzman was 15. Burdick was 16. Uh, I have a feeling we want to talk about Burdick, right? Because, <laughs> because he's such, I'm just, uh, just laughing. I'm just laughing right now at the fact that we're talking about Nider Devers and Burdick and Scott at 12 or 13. You know, we're debating which one of these guys should be 12 and 13. I mean, it is an unprecedented time in the Marlins organization right now. I cannot say it enough. And I'm not just trying to play Homer or Hype Man man, right here. It is truly exceptional how the fact that, like, I I started laughing when you mentioned Jose Devers' name because I just completely forgot he existed. I do that all the time. And then I look at play, and then I look at you know prospect lists, and I'm like, holy shit, Devers is at 12. Devers is at 13. You know what I mean? Like this is a yeah. really good prospect who has put up OPSs over 700 as what's supposed to be a glove for a shortstop at 18 and 19 years old in high A, and we're talking about him as being a top, you know, 12 to 15 prospect in the Marlins organization. It's exceptional. It's unbelievable what the Marlins are putting together right now. It really is. Yeah, and yeah. I think the crazy part is you look at the top 10 that we set up, maybe with the exception of Meisner, because there's a little, um, little variance there, but you could legitimately say those are surefire major leaguers. Like, that's 10 major leaguers. And when you when you look at prospect lists, it's easy to go 1 through 30 and dream about all of them. But you got to be realistic and say, like, listen, like some of these just might not work. They could flame out. But – this is a strong top 10. And if they produce 10 major leaguers out of this list, like that's exceptional. Yeah. Talking, I mean, but talking about the guys we just talked about in this group, we're in the middle group of this list and everybody's still getting so excited about our, our 12th, 13th through 16th prospects. This is where the part of our group that doesn't get enough love. I think nationally with, with groups, we're known to have a high end variance, top 30 prospects. But this solid, this middle group could be extremely solid as well. When talking about Connor Scott, seeing him this spring, him, him and Cameron Meisner look identical now in size, which kind of scares me. I mean, Scott's been growing since he's gotten the system. He looks bigger. His, his legs are being more incorporated in his swing, which is everybody's sights to see. <clears throat> so it's been nice to see that. Talking about George Guzman, who had a rough ending to his spring before we got cut short, but. He's got a 100-mile-an-hour fastball with elite reliever potential. Could even be a starter. I mean, these are these are big leaders and those two guys with, with decent potential. I don't really want to talk about Peyton Burdick here because we all know my thoughts on Peyton Burdick. Um, I can go on for this whole conference. But I think he's going to be an all-leaguer as well. He's got right field potential. He's, he's got huge off-fields potential. 
And then I forget who Devers, excuse me. That's the one I want to talk about when I got on the mic here and I completely forgot. But Jose Devers was an all-star in a ball. He was an all-star at a high A at 18, 19 years old. He hits the ball. He came into this spring looking bigger. He put on maybe 10, 15 pounds. He's still a string bean, but at 170 pounds at six foot, he's starting to look like a baseball player finally, instead of a kid wearing a big league uniform. <clears throat> he's ready to come out this year. I'm sure he's going to start the year in Jupiter again. And uh, he's going to be in front of extremely strong lineup. So he's a guy who still has the potential to be a top 100 prospect. I mean, like, like, like Eli said, he doesn't age. Still going to be 20 years old this year in high A ball when he's still going to be probably one of the 10 or 15 youngest guys in the league, you know. So his high potential in all these guys is so exciting to talk about. And I'm glad I'm glad we're in the middle of this list getting this excited. Yeah, the thing with Dev- Devers, Devers is – is um, he has to play games at some point. That's the thing with him is um, his first full season in the organization 2018. He was with, that was at the time they had the Greensboro affiliate and he really opened some eyes up there and got a surprising promotion up to Jupiter. And almost as soon as he got to Jupiter the first time in, in 2018, got injured, ended up missing the rest of the season. 2019, he got off to that even better start. I mean, uh, he had that batting average in the mid three hundreds for like most of April and had uh, one minor injury, came back from that, and then missed more significant amount of time with, I believe it was that forearm strain that he had. He missed a couple months as a position player with a forearm strain, which is you know typically an issue you would expect from a pitcher. And even though he continues to add weight, obviously uh, undersized relative to um, even the typical shortstop. And of course, that in-game power hasn't been there at all. Still hasn't hit a home run in- since arriving in the Marlins organization. But of course, you know, the team feels very confident in him because they ended up actually sending him out to the fall league along with some of the other guys we've already touched on. He was one of the younger guys that participated in the fall league. And then he got to the fall league and he also got hurt again. I think he had a toe injury that ended up missing almost two weeks at the fall league. So that's like my big question with him is that, yeah, he just hasn't played very often. And, and that's a legit, that's a legit concern, you know, injury concerns and durability. Um, they, you know, ruin guys, um, you know, in, in all, in every sport, um, you know, there are guys that could be exceptional and just can't shake the injury bug. Um, but when he's on the field, he just hits. I mean, that's all he does. He hit in, in 33 games last year in Jupiter, he hit 325. He had a 126 weighted runs created plus and put together a 749 OPS uh, and didn't hit a home run. Like, so his slugging percentage was 365 and he's putting up pretty good numbers at 19 years old. Uh, it's, it's really exceptional. And then, you know, he's got a good approach. He doesn't strike out a lot. Um, he, he's never really struck out except in, in rookie ball. He struck out at a really high rate when he was in, that was in the Yankees organization. But since getting to the Marlins organization, uh, he, he's basically struck out around 15%, which is really good in this day and age. So um, he's just a solid hitter, and he just puts he puts the ball in play, and he gets on base. Um, and that's all you can really ask for uh, with a guy with that speed and base running ability. You imagine he's going to be a table setter one day uh, if, if all goes according to plan. And if your table setter can hit 300, you're doing pretty good. So, And like I said, and he's got a great glove. And like I said, we're talking about him as, you know, 12 and 13. So he, he's a guy that just kind of moves down into this like second layer and the second wave of talent that we'll eventually see, hopefully come up through the majors. Um, and it's all because of how much talent it's not because of him. It's all because of how much talent is above him. That's the same with Scott and with Burdick is that they're just kind of blocked right now. But if they weren't, they would be some of the higher touted prospects in the system. So uh, it's 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 pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing what we've got here when you start looking down the list and you start looking at the second and third wave of guys that will eventually be coming up into into the Marlins uh, system. Yeah. yeah. Just to play counterpoint a little bit here, I there are things that I really like about Devers. Like when I first started watching him, immediately. You know, there are not a lot of teenagers that have his kind of hitting skills and feel for contact. Um, I think it's a plus hit tool all the way. But the more I've kind of focused in on him, I have come to just really question the tools 
and I have a hard time coming up with a projection that isn't utility infielder. Um, I don't think he's going to be like a singles hitter kind of guy. I think there'll be line drive contact. There'll be doubles power. There'll be probably 10 to 15 home run kind of power, but I'm not sure that he's a shortstop. And I don't think he really impacts the game with his speed. It's not a big arm. I think when you look at the other uh, middle infielders in this kind of range in the system, Nunez, Salas, Johnson, all I think have better overall tools than Devers. And I think he's more of a top of the lineup, primary second baseman who can cover multiple positions. That's fair. I I think that's really fair because... I I think so too. I mean, you did see... In the fall league, he um, I mean, this is more of a byproduct of being alongside other elite talent that he got pushed off of shortstop entirely during the fall league and only got reps at second base. He went into spring training, and I believe the majority of those appearances in the spring were also at seconds. And I, I think he's going to be a great second baseman. But yeah, the big question is whether or not he sticks at shortstop at all. And some of that, um, as we transition to the next few names, is about how he, you know, playing alongside similar aged players in the Marlins system that might be more talented defensive shortstops. One of those being, you mentioned it, Nassim Nunez, who was part of that 2019 draft class. Uh, let's see, he played at the end of the year. They moved him up to Batavia, but before that spent most of the year in the Gulf Coast League. And he's a guy that defensively um, really lights it up just by watching him play and whose speed really translates more towards game action than Devers has to this point. I think Nunez led the entire GCL in stolen bases, like had one about every other game. Uh, but along with him, wanted to mention Jordan Holloway, some, a guy that you could kind of pair with uh, George Guzman in that he has that amazing fastball and a, a wipeout breaking ball, but there's that big reliever risk with him and some of the questions about exactly what role he's going to have moving forward. And, and two other guys I wanted to throw out at the same time, uh, in our previous iteration of the list, we put Victor Victor Mesa ahead of Victor Mesa Jr. That's that's a decision that I, I kind of like waffled on a little bit because it, it felt a little bold to try to put Jr. ahead of the older one. But as more and more of the 2020 preseason list came out and those evaluators were taking the step of, of leapfrogging Victor Mesa Jr. over Victor Victor, I, I think that's another decision we want to look at here. So with those four names, just throwing them all out at the same time, Nunez, Holloway, and both of the Mesa brothers, um, what are our expectations for what they're going to do in this system moving forward? I'm going to go I'm gonna go negative here. I'm going to follow the train that Spencer was on with Devers. And I'm going to start with Holloway. Uh, I have a lot of concerns about Jordan Holloway. Um, he's 23 years old, and he hasn't – pitched above high A. Uh, and I'm just going to be straight right here. He was pretty terrible last year. Um, his control is a real concern. You're right. He, he was had a lot of good luck on balls in play early in the year. And uh, he was keeping the walks kind of manageable. Then in the middle of the year, um, the it kind of blew him. up for him. Yeah. yeah. He, he did that. have like a, he, he, you're right, Eli. He did have a really nice start. And, and there were some inconsistent results. There were some really good starts, and there were some really bad starts. Um, but the bad starts kind of stood out to me. Uh, and it, he did the same thing that George Guzman did, where he would just kind of, like, blow up, like, out of nowhere. Like, he would be having, you know, a couple good innings and kind of keeping things quiet. And then all of a sudden, it would just go horribly wrong. And he'd let up, you know four hits and three walks and, a, you know, everybody would come around to score kind of thing. So there, there are, I have some real concerns about Jordan Holloway um, right now. I'm not going to lie to you. And with the way that some of these other prospects have been, you know, some of these other p- pitching prospects have been dealing. And then you got guys like Fitterer who jumped him on the uh, MLB uh, list. And then got on like, like Mesa jr like Osiris, I'm really high on Humberto Mejia personally. All of a sudden, he kind of keeps trickling down this list for me. Um, and I don't see him as a starter at all. I think the Marlins 
Guzman's going to try and do whatever he can to be a starter, and I respect him for that. And I think the Marlins should try and let him do whatever they can. And then worst comes to worst, that he's an elite closer, I think. Um, but I think he, he, there's nothing wrong with moving Holloway to the bullpen now and just being like, buddy, you're going to be our seventh or eighth inning guy, and you're just going to mow people down and lay the way for whoever is closing. Um, and, and and I'm, I'm – I think one that can escal- that can um, speed up his his development process. I think that can get him to the bigs faster. And at 23 years old, it's like, all right, buddy, like you know, let's get this thing going. So, um, I I hate to kind of hawk on Jordan like that, um, but you know, and obviously I hope it turns out because he's got great stuff. He's got electric stuff. He can light up the radar gun. So you hope that he can turn into a starter. Um, but I, I have real concerns about him and I would kind of drop him out of the tier that includes guys like Nassim and Salas and Mesa Jr. Um, and, and, and even, you know, at this point, like he's one spot behind Guzman and I would definitely put a bigger discrepancy between them two, but, um, I, I I hope he can put it together, but I'm definitely kind of, I'm kind of low on him right now. On Holloway, I think you do have to give some credit to him in the sense that he was coming back from Tommy John surgery. So there is that feel that he's lacked, that he's got to build up. Um, definitely his command breaking down throughout the year was not something you want to see. But I, I would rank – I think I'm, I would rank him over Guzman right now because I, I think Guzman has a better chance of being a starting pitcher. But I think – uh, Holloway has a higher floor as a relief pitcher. I think his stuff is way better than Guzman's. Guzman's secondary stuff looked horrendous in spring training, in my opinion, and his command just wasn't that great either. So I have Holloway above Guzman right now. I think that breaking ball of his is very good, and he's going to have a lot of success in the bullpen. So, and yeah, the whole Tommy John thing, you, you have to give some – like, you have to note that not everyone can come back like Braxton Garrett and just continue to throw a ton of strikes. And I have to say with the Mesa brothers, I, w- I, I wasn't in agreement with this at first, but it's always been this thing, talking with people from Cuba, every time I would mention them, they would always tell me that the younger brother, which is uh, Junior, was going to be better than Victor Victor. and I mean, we're, it, it wasn't something that I was like, yeah, like these guys are like like students of the game. Like they're just people who watch baseball in Cuba and they would just tell me these things. Uh, Victor Victor was kind of like the same guy in Cuba, just a slap hitter. And for whatever reason, people were tremendously excited about the younger brother and it's it's happening here too. So I, I think it's very legit to say that Mesa Jr. has totally jumped Victor Victor. And but I still think Victor Victor should get credit for being the defender that he is in center field, and he is a major league baseball player. Whether it's in a bench role, uh, where he's just playing like in defensive situations or getting at bats every once in a while, that obviously not something you want from a five million dollar uh, signing. But he's still a major leaguer, so give him credit there. But Mesa Jr. has totally jumped his older brother. On the uh, pitchers, I would say that I see it a little bit differently. Um, For me, Holloway, I do think that there's still like that little glimmer of hope for him as a starter if you want to pursue that. Obviously, the clock is uh, ticking in terms of 40-man decisions and things of that nature with a guy like him who's spent time on the shelf is already getting older. But when you see him when everything's working – I think he does show you starter traits. He has had a decent command in bursts in the past, and he has that more complete starter's arsenal, um, like Luis mentioned. For me, I cannot see any outcome in which uh, Guzman is a starting pitcher. Uh, I think he's pretty much purely a fastball. The field is spinning. I, I have not seen personally in my looks at him. And I don't think that the command is all that outstanding either. I think he's a a middle reliever who's pretty much just going to try to blow it by people. I would have him a lot further down on the list. 
And I think when you're talking about these guys like Guzman and Holloway, Holloway being more more likely than not, certainly a reliever than a starter, and Guzman, who I personally am evaluating purely as a reliever, I would ask, like, why aren't we already talking about Alex Garcia? Because I think if you're looking at a pure reliever, um, he's demonstrated that barring his stuff falling off a cliff for, for one reason or another, he's going to be a lights-out relief option in, in the big leagues. Um, so I think that I would, I would personally rank him ahead of somebody like Guzman. Holloway, I can, I can see the case that you keep him in the rotation for a little bit longer. Um, and then also Evan Fitterer is a guy who stood out to me a lot, I think has a good amount of starter traits. I would probably rank him ahead of Guzman and maybe even Holloway. And I would have Sterling Sharp in that same kind of uh, vicinity as well, because I think he's a pretty high probability option as either a long reliever or a number five starter. I was pretty excited to talk about Fitter lately. I mean, uh, later on. So I'll just get it over with now. Um, I, I saw him in Jupiter throwing in the backfields. Stuff is great. Like we're talking about a guy that like he, he spins it well. He's got a curveball. His changeup moves very well. He throws it for strikes and he's got the fastball command that obviously as a young starter, like it's exceptional now and he's, it's going to have to improve over time to keep up with the rest of his competition. But I, I, I really liked what I saw. It's three pitches that all profile as major league, like at least major league average and some will be plus eventually. I think that curveball is going to be great. And, um, I mean, it's hard to ignore the comps that I've read out there, kind of like a Kyle Hendricks, but with a better fastball. You know, I, I like to see that and then to go to the backfields and really see it in action. Uh, I think there's some truth to that. And, yeah, Evan Fitter is a guy we need to see more, in my opinion, to, like, really throw him up this list. But they, the Marlins really got a steal there, a guy they, no one really thought would sign with anyone. And they were able to snag him in, I think, the fifth round. So exceptional draft pick. And I think Marlins fans are going to be all over him when the season. Thank you for listening to part one of our Fish Stripes Top 30 list update. Spencer and Ian, Ethan, Lewis, and I are back in part two. Next up in your podcast feed, give that a listen if you want to hear how the rest of the list sorts out and we determine everyone from number one to 30 plus a few honorable mentions enjoy that go over and click over to the next episode thanks and go fish